so glad to be back with you, and I am incredibly eager to preach this sermon on one of the most important themes through all of the Scripture. But I'll warn you, I'm going to start off with one of the most dreadful stories in all of history. I'm sorry to do so, but it's a story I just must tell this morning to get things kicked off. So good morning, everybody. I hope you're good. Are you awake? Okay, good morning, West Campus. Wake up, because this is a story that um, we're going to want to move on through pretty quickly. It's a dreadful one. It's the tragic story of the Costa Concordia that set sail in 2012. Does anybody remember this story? In January of 2012, it was on its eighth year, and it set sail around the Mediterranean Sea with 4,252 people aboard the ship. That's passengers and crew. It was captained by this man, Francesco Scatino, an Italian, who, as he came to Giglio Island, made a costly mistake in an attempt to salute the waving and watching Italians on the coast. He came too close to the shore, and the Costa Concordia began taking on water quickly. Soon it was tipped over like you're seeing in this image. And then an hour later after it gets in this position, there's a phone call between Francesco Catino and the Coast Guard. But Francesco Catino's not in the place you would expect him to be when this call is made. Because as you know, every captain knows you stay on the ship so long as a Human body, if one person is on that ship, the captain stays. Every captain knows that, except Francesco Catino, who called the Coast Guard from a lifeboat as he had sailed away from the sinking ship. It's an urgent call, and you hear the urgency in the Coast Guard officer's voice as he says, get back to the ship. Why are you calling me from the lifeguard, from, from the lifeboat? And Francesco says, I'm coordinating relief efforts from the lifeboat. And the, the, the Coast Guard says, what kind of efforts are you coordinating from the lifeboat? Get on the ship. We need to know who's still on there, what they need, and how to get them off the ship. He never, he never went back to the ship. It sunk. 32 people died that day on the Costa Concordia. The captain has been nicknamed, many nicknames, one of them the chicken of the sea. He's also named Captain Coward. If you were just to Google that nickname, you'll find Francesco Catino. I'm not trying to throw the man under the bus any more than he's already been. This obviously landed him in prison. It's a dreadful thing for a captain to abandon his ship. But I'm telling the story to ask you some questions. And here's the first question I want to ask you. Would you have stayed on that ship? Would you have stayed on? Would you have coordinated efforts from the boat or from the lifeboat a few yards away? And I, I know we actually don't have a good way of answering that question. If you ask people questions concerning courage, do you have the courage to do X or the courage to do Y? Here's the way we answer that question these days. No one's going to say no because that's just outright cowardly. No one wants to say yes because that seems cocky. So in a way to be humble and honest, this is how we answer the question. We say, you know, I'm not in that situation right now. I don't know what I would do. And then we say this. I'm, I bet you've said this recently. I would like to think that I would stay on the ship. That's how we answer the question. I hope 
that I would do the right thing in that situation. I'd like to think so. So let me ask you this as we get started. Is that the best we can do when it comes to courage? I would like to think I would do the courageous thing. If it got really, really, really hard as a Christian living in the West, I would like to think I stay on the ship. I want to submit to you that there's a better way of approaching that question than just wishful thinking when it comes to courage. If you're just one of those wishful thinkers, then I want you to know you're making a dreadful mistake in your, in your planning for life because what you're doing is you're leaving cowardice as an option, right? And sometimes we leave cowardice as an option, but one thing we're going to learn in Deuteronomy 31, if you want to go ahead and begin turning there, here's one thing we're going to learn, that when Moses hands leadership over to Joshua and when Moses is seeking to empower his, his people, the Israelites, here is the point, cowardice is not an option, Will you say that with me to start this sermon off? Say, cowardice is not an option. For the people of God, it is not an option. You have to take it completely off the board. And don't just take my word for it. We're going to get into to Deuteronomy 31, and you'll learn that in this chapter. But you also see it from God himself as he sits on the throne in Revelation chapter 21. This is what he says. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile... The murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The cowardly lead that list off of people who will be excluded from the kingdom of God. So, just as you've been converted from unbelieving to believing in Christ, you've been converted from sexually immoral to pure in Christ, so you must also be converted from cowardly to courageous in Christ. That's a conversion that must take place for the people of God, just like everything else that's been converted in your life. From cowardly to, con- to, to courageous. So what is courage? Let's define it before we go any further. Here's Christian courage, and I really searched hard to find the definition that I thought best encapsulate what Christian courage is. And here it is from John Piper. Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing, regardless of the earthly cost, because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. So there are three very important components to a true definition of Christian courage. Here are the three. First of all, your commitment, your willingness to say and do the right thing. Number two, despite an earthly cost, could be your life, could be a relationship, could be a feeling, could be money. Number three, and this is so key, because God, because God promises to help you and save you. Worst case scenario, to resurrect you, right? Because of God. So these three components are crucial when it comes to courage, and we're going to see these components in our chapter, Deuteronomy Chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. So pause really quickly, and let's just notice something. This is a major national moment for Israel. Like, we're out of the, the long speeches of Moses in Deuteronomy right now. And by the way, if you're new to North Boulevard, 
Welcome to the Deuteronomy series. We're almost done with the series. So we're out of the major speeches of Moses, and now we have a little action. He's handing over the reins because he's an old man. He's 121 years old. He's no longer able to lead Israel. It's a major national moment because you need to think about what Israel was like before Moses. Before Moses, Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Before Moses, Israel did not have the law of God. Before Moses, Israel was not positioned on the east side of the Jordan ready to take the promised land. They were in a far, far off land, a foreign land. This is huge. Moses has been an amazing national leader for, for Israel. But there's a really key point already in our text that I just think we need to grab, and that's this. Moses is important, but he's not irreplaceable. And so there's something for all leaders to learn from this. We are to lead from a place of courage, but we're never to be conceited. Courage, yes, but never conceited. Because the courage comes from thoughts of God, not thoughts of self. Thoughts of self leads to pride and conceit. Just a quick note, I think it's so important. If God can replace Moses, he can replace me. He can replace you. God was doing amazing things, accomplishing his will in this world before I ever took the pulpit. And God will do amazing things in this world long after I'm dead. God, it's same with you, whatever your ministry is, whatever your contribution. Never conceded, always courageous. So let's keep reading. Verse 3. So uh, Joshua, he says, no, actually he says, The Lord himself, the Lord your God himself, will cross over ahead of you, and he will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you. It's funny, you, you can see Joshua's position. The Lord's going to go first, Joshua also. The leader's important, but not more important than God. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to him, to them, what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed, along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So that first exhortation to be strong is to the whole nation of Israel. It's not yet to Joshua. He's saying to all of Israel, be strong, be courageous. Then Moses summoned Joshua. What a scene this would be. And he said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. A few really important points. Do you see what's going on in this text? Moses, who's been a leader, he's, he's led from courage is now looking at a younger leader. He's pouring into this younger leader, and he's speaking courage into this leader. This is discipleship, guys. This is discipleship. The scriptures are not all that interested in showing you how Moses raised up Joshua from a competency point of view, like leadership competencies. That is important, but it's not the focus of the scriptures. The scriptures are, are showing you how Joshua was raised up in character and in courage. What Moses is most concerned about is that Israel and this new leader Joshua, get this, would trust God. 
more than leadership competencies, he says, Joshua, I want you to lead with the same courage I led with. Go trust the Lord. Go trust God. And this is what that means for us today here at North Boulevard. Raising up uh, new courageous leaders isn't just a good idea, it's a God idea. All right, that's what the Lord desires for his people. We're going to be raising up the next generation to be strong and courageous. That's what God desires. So let's keep reading. Now we're going to read from verse 9 to 13. I want to point something out. In verses 9 through 13, Moses sets up a rhythm for the people of God to hear the reading of the law. But I want you to notice why. What's the purpose of the public reading of the law in these verses? Here we go. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the, to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord and all of the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them at the, at the end of every seven years, in the year of canceling debts during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Why? Notice this. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God. That's the purpose. And follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. There's a kind of fear that will drive you away from something. It's the fear that you experienced as a child when you thought about monsters under your bed or in your closet. You don't want to be near them. It drives you away. It's the fear you feel when somebody is a potential threat to you in your place of work. You don't want to be around them. It drives you from them. There's a different kind of fear, and that's what's being referenced here, of awe, splendor, wonder, majesty. It's why you go see the Grand Canyon. You don't want to be away from it. You actually want to go to it. It's why we love Niagara Falls. It's why we like Mount Everest. It's the fear that says, I, I need to be in the presence of this great thing. And God is so wonderful that the reading of the law is actually not supposed to drive Israel away, but drive them down on their knees in a place of fear before the Lord their God. Now, the rest of the chapter I'm going to summarize for you because we've already touched on the subjects in the rest of the chapter four times. The, chapters go, the rest of the chapter goes like this. Joshua is commissioned personally by God, and then God reminds Moses and Joshua of a terrible thing to come, and that is Israel will, will rebel against God. They will be punished severely for rebelling against God. But we know from last week's lesson, and if you weren't here last week, check this out. We know from last week's lesson that they will have a do-over and another do-over, and another do-over, and God will welcome them back. So that's the remainder of the chapter. I do encourage you to read it on your own, but I just wanted to summarize it today. So here's what we have in our chapter. Moses has commissioned Israel and Joshua to be courageous. It's a fitting time for them to need courage because, one, they're experiencing a change in leadership. It always requires courage when you're experiencing a change, especially a change in leadership. And, two, they're about to go into battle. And this is that brave heart kind of moment where William Wallace says, well, I'll let you do the speech yourself. I'm not going to pretend to be William Wallace. But where he stands on the front line and he instills courage in the battle lines because they're going to need it to go fight a physical battle. You would need it too if you're standing in armor, you got your weapon, you're about to go fight a battle. But I'm asking the question right now, why do you need courage? Are you about to go fight a physical battle like that? Are we commissioned as the people of God to pick up our sword? No, not today. You need courage to identify closely with Christ 
in a Christless age. You guys know in the last two decades, Christianity in our country has fallen from favor to foolishness. And you need courage to identify closely with Christ in a Christless age. You don't know what that's going to mean for you or what cost ultimately you'll pay for that. But that's not the only reason you need courage as a believer. It's the big one, and it's on our mind. And what's the latest thing that's going to pass the, pass, you know, the president's desk or, or, or work its way through the Senate or in the Department of Education? And what will that mean for Christians? And how am I going to muster up the strength to closely identify with Christ when Christ is being opposed? You do have to figure that out. We have to think about that. But it's not the only thing, actually. In a Christian's life, that requires courage. You also need courage to apologize to your spouse in the heat of an argument before they apologize to you. You need courage to confess that decade-old sin that's robbing you of your joy that you've never told anybody about. You need courage to wake up another day, be faithful to your God with chronic pain or cancer. You need courage to call out for help when you're in the throes of depression and you've been thinking about ending it. It takes courage. It takes courage to hold off, to not move in with your girlfriend, even though everyone else is, and you're the oddball. It takes courage to not move in until marriage when God has made you one flesh in Christ. I know that's not the norm, young people in our society. It takes courage to be a disciple of Jesus. It takes courage to raise your kids in the Lord. I spoke with a woman just this last week who told her third grader it's not time yet for this third grader to have a smartphone. She's the only third grader who doesn't have one. But this disciple of Jesus is trying to raise her kids in the Lord as best her convictions are teaching her how, and this Holy Spirit leading woman is being taught how, and she says, I am already being ridiculed for the way I'm setting boundaries for my daughter. It takes courage to love your neighbor well, especially in an age of division, especially in a heated moment. It takes courage to take a demotion at work because you've been taken too long, too often from your family. It takes courage to grow old and to grow old without developing bitterness and resentment and the changing age in which you live. It takes courage to share the gospel. If the gospel was simply, hey, everybody, please raise your hand if you want a mansion in gold when you die, it wouldn't take a lot of courage. But it takes courage to make it all the way to the R word, repent. Die to yourself. Give up your way of life. That takes courage to preach the whole of the gospel. So from burial in water all the way to burial in the dirt, your life will require courage. You need the courage of Joshua. You need the courage of Israel in this moment. So what I want to do with the rest of the time is talk about how to cultivate courage. Because the last thing we want to do is just have some wishful thinking when it comes to courage. I'd like to think I'll have it when I need it. Let's actually develop it today so you're not one of the many who will jump ship in the difficulties of tomorrow. Let's develop some courage. Let's be intentional about it. Here are five ways to develop courage from the text that we just read. Number one, and this one is powerful. Be strong. But it relieves you asking more questions than it gives you answers. But this is still the first point. Be strong. 
be a strong person. Be a strong man. Be a strong woman. Here's why I say that. Because when, um, when Joshua is commissioned, he's actually commissioned with a four-part command. It's not just be courageous. Here's how the command actually goes. Number one, be strong. Then he's taught to be courageous. Then don't be afraid. And then don't be discouraged. The, the whole thing actually leads off with be strong. Be strong. It makes sense. If you're as strong as a lion, you'll fight battles that a fox wouldn't fight. Right? We expect a lion to show a little bit more courage because a lion is strong. So be strong. Don't sit in weakness. Don't stay. Don't plateau in growth. Be strong. Now, how do you do that? Well, the reason behind all of these things, so be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. The baseline reason is this, for the Lord himself will be with you. So how does this baseline reason then inform the way that you read these commands? The Lord himself will be with you. How does it inform the command to be strong? Very simply, it's this, be strong in the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. It's still not not self-explanatory. There's still some work. We have to mine that out a little bit further. But here's the basis. Don't be strong in your own strength. This isn't like we're not handing out gym memberships as an application to today's sermon. Or, you know, we could pump iron enough or we could develop enough resources that we don't need the strength of the Lord. That's not the point here. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. You're taught that in Ephesians as well. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Paul wraps up the letter to Ephesians by saying this to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How are you strong in the strength of the Lord? Well, two two ways. You draw strength from God regularly and you count on the strength of God regularly. Let me talk first about how you draw strength from God. So 18 months ago, we brought home a baby from the hospital into our house who couldn't even carry the weight of her own head. Now, nothing was wrong with her. That's just how they come out. She, she couldn't move her own head. She couldn't lift her own head. So she goes immediately to nursing her mother. And she nurses on her mother throughout the day, unfortunately, like throughout the night as well. And then before you know it, she's lifting up her head and she's looking around the room. She's making eye contact with me. She nurses from her mother throughout the day, throughout the night, and before you know it, she's rolling over. She nurses, and I walk into the room one day, and she's, she's pulled herself up on the bars of her crib. She nurses through the day, throughout the night, and before you know it, she's crawling across the floor of our house. I could keep going. She nurses through the day, the night, before you know it, she's taking her first steps. Where did my daughter get her strength? from her mama. She, she drew the strength of her mama into her very body. And this is the first way in which you gain strength from the Lord. You draw on the strength of the Lord. You, you pray, you meditate on his strength, you devour it in the scriptures. And I, man, my kids challenge me, they don't even know this, but I've seen such rapid development and growth that sometimes I sit and I look at my kid and I'm like, is he outpacing me? Am I, have I plateaued? Are they growing rapidly? Are they drawing on the strength of mom and dad? And here I have sat in a spiritual plateau, and I'm not growing anymore. Do what, do what Marin did. Cry out day and night until God gives you the strength you need. 
Draw on his strength regularly. Feed on it. And then take a step and then draw on his strength. And then grow up stronger. Don't sit in weakness. Don't stay where you are today. Become stronger spiritually. The second way you do it is by counting on the strength of the Lord. So we draw on the strength of the Lord and we count on the strength of the Lord. Here's what that means. When you're about to make a decision that you know will have a cost, it's a tough decision. It's difficult to make. What we're tempted to do is write a list of everything that we bring to the table. Here's what I can do. Here are my skills. Here's what I expect will happen. Let me give you an example. When you're about to have a really difficult conversation with your teenager, you want to disciple that teenager, but all you see is they could kick back against me. I don't know if this is going to go right. What if they... And so you say, well, I'm going to bring these skills to the table. I'm going to approach the conversation this way. I'm going to try to have this attitude about the conversation. Here's what I want you to do in your next obstacle, your next difficult moment. Keep one line on that paper blank for the resources and power of God that you cannot see. When you're about to make a big decision and face an obstacle, Yeah, you're going to write out everything you bring to the table, but then you want to write a blank line on that sheet for the resources and the power of God that can't be seen. You expect him to help you. So courage comes from this quiet confidence that says something like this. I know God will help me. God, help me. The last thing I say before I step up to preach, those two words, three words, God, help me. Help. And you want to leave room for the help of God. And that's how you develop courage. And I'll tell you this, where you draw your strength from today is the difference between playing church and trusting Christ. Whatever the source of your strength is, is a difference between playing church and trusting Christ. If you, one of those will lead to cowardice. One of those will lead to more and more courage. I expect you know the difference. The second way that you develop courage So first, be strong. The second way is be a Moses to somebody. Be a Joshua to somebody. So we have made it quite a long way in this series. But if you've been around North Boulevard long enough, you knew discipleship was going to come up at some point. We are sold out to life-on-life discipleship. So my favorite part of the week for me is Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Tuesday at 8 o'clock, I meet with a group, including David Young, other senior leaders, and we discuss sermon planning. What do the next few weeks hold? What's the series hold? Then we dig into the, the text. We, we study the chapter. We talk about what we're learning from the chapter. This is my favorite part of the week. When it's my turn to preach, as we wrap up that meeting, David Young looks at me through the Zoom screen or in my eyes, and he says these words. He says, If you don't remember anything else we said in this meeting, that's okay. But remember this. Go be courageous. Go preach boldly. That I need. And I would say that you need. If you're a mama, you need some mama that you respect, you admire, you see her walking in faith and in courage. She tells you things. She gives you good advice. She pours into your life. But then she looks you in the eyes and she says, if you don't remember the things I've told you, you go be courageous. Go trust God. Go trust God in your parenting. Go move forward in boldness. 
You need that in your life. Courage is a, is a result of proper discipleship because courage is contagious. So you want to be in proximity with people who you love and admire for their faith and their courage. Um, it's really, I don't want to say this in a way that's ominous, but I will say this. When a time of real testing comes, you'll know if you've taken discipleship seriously or not. When a time of real testing comes, you'll find out if you've taken this seriously. I pray you do, because what you want to do is stand firm, not because of wishful thinking on the day of courage, but because you've prepared to be courageous by walking closely with men and women that you admire for their faith and their courage. And by the way, if you have developed strength and courage, you need to be a Moses to somebody. And you probably will never feel ready to do that, but I'm telling you, you need to be a Moses to somebody today. Grab a younger person that you can also pour into, like Moses poured into, to Joshua. So number one, be strong. Number two, be a Moses, be a Joshua. And number three, get clear about what you stand for. One of my favorite parts of Deuteronomy 31 is Moses' exact words to Joshua when he says, you must enter the land. You must then divide the land among your countrymen. It's that such clear conviction that Joshua was born for this. You must do it. You know what's right. You know what you were made for. Go do it. But if you sit in, a, uh, in the world of I don't know, you're in a, a discussion about the scriptures, and there's some kind of cultural conflict. You know, you know, this is the way your country's going, and people are talking about what the Word of God is. And if this is your line, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know what it says. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the truth is. If you sit in the world of I don't know, you'll never have courage. Because nobody would stick their neck out for some vague notion or from some general concept. But you will stick your neck out on the line for what you know, for what you really believe. So by getting really clear about what you stand for, courage will be born in you. Courage is born from conviction. Courage is born from conviction. So really study up. Get to know. Why are you here? Why do you exist? What's a, what's a purpose for your life that you know that you know God has given you? I guarantee you die for that. If you know, you must this, Joshua. And number four, learn to fear God and no one else. So the reading of the Word of God is for the growing in the fear of God. I told you that's not a bad thing. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing man is the beginning of weakness and cowardice. We want to fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you develop knowledge, discernment, understanding. That's what wisdom is all about. But if you fear man, you're going to miss out on the assignment that God has given you to accomplish. So don't fear man. Fear God. Uh, in Luke 12, Jesus goes so far as to say, why would you fear man? Why? Fear only the one who has the power over your soul, not man who only has power over your body. That's where you develop weakness. So I know a man whose main assignment given to him by God is to preach repentance at abortion clinics. Not to bomb them, not to go in with violence, but to boldly and courageously preach repentance. He has rocks thrown at him regularly. Insults thrown at him regularly. Oddly, from both the secular world and the Christian world. Isn't that strange? He feels very alone. This man's name is Jeff. He feels very alone most of his days. 
but he wakes up every morning fearing only God. Because if the one day he wakes up fearing man, he's not going to his assignment today. And it's probably true for you. Fear God, never fear man. They'll hold you back from your calling. And here's the last thing. Number five, focus on the reward. So when it comes to Moses and Joshua, Moses says this over and over again. Joshua, the land. You're going to be the one to lead Israel into the land. It's the promised land. It's the land he swore to our ancestors. That's the reward. And Joshua, you get to be part of it. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the calling for you not leading anybody into physical promised land as Joshua did. But this is, a, this is a really true thing when it comes to courage. If your motivation is not greater than your obstacle, you won't be courageous today. You need some motivation that's greater than your obstacle. When's the last time you've thought about heaven? When's the last time you thought about the thing, the inheritance that God keeps in heaven for you? For me, I think about that regularly. I think about reward regularly when I'm in the conversation quadrant that I'm going to show you and kind of walk through quickly. So in the mind of a disciple maker, and I'm learning from disciple makers, you want to think about your relationships as either being casual, meaningful, spiritual, or discipling relationships. So you think about somebody in your life who you see on a regular basis. If you've struck up a casual relationship with them, then you want to, as a disciple maker, move into a meaningful relationship. Hey, how's your family? Or tell me about your family. Or what's going on in your life that I can be thinking about, helping with? Then you want to move into the spiritual quadrant. But here's what we all know. This shift from meaningful to, to spiritual requires a lot of courage. It's the, the lack of courage is actually why only 1% of Christians reproduce themselves and make more disciples. Because from meaningful to spiritual requires an insane amount of courage. How will they respond to this? Is this going to change our relationship forever? Am I going to be a weird Jesus freak by the time this is all over? So you have a barber. You finally got to that meaningful place with that barber. And then someday you go back and you say, hey, I, I'm here for that awesome haircut that you give me every time. But I'm also here to just find out what you know about Jesus. Because I've been chickening out every time I'm in this chair, and I've been meaning to do this, but I'm, I've been scared. When you go to spiritual, you'll only go there if you focus on the reward. Moses says, Joshua, remember the land. Here's your mentality. Today, there could be a new follower of Jesus Christ. Today, I could help convert a man who will then raise his kids up in the Lord. We could have children who know Jesus. I could, have a, I could help a man here or a woman become a follower of Jesus, and then we add to our brotherhood and our sisterhood. If that reward is on your mind of what could be, then you'll face the challenges of what might be. Man, we could fill the room with disciples of Jesus. We could plant more churches. We could plunder hell to populate heaven, but we have to be courageous to do it. Then you ask to enter into a discipling relationship. Will you study with me? Can we pray together? It takes so much courage to do it, but you have to focus on the reward. As, as a senior in high school, I had this life-changing opportunity to sit at a dinner with the parents of Rachel Scott. Rachel Scott, you'll, you might remember this picture she was one of the 11 students killed in the Columbine massacre of April 20, 1999. And in 2008, as I sat with her parents, Beth and Daryl, they were promoting Rachel's book, Rachel's Tears, 
They were on movement to decrease violence in schools, to tell her story of faith. And I sat at their table. And what we knew at the time, we still know, but there's, there's really no way to find out exactly what happened in the library at Columbine High School on April 20, 1999. But there are plenty of Rachel's friends who testified that she did speak openly about her faith right before she was killed. That the two gunmen did taunt her, ask her about her faith. Do you still really believe this stuff? And her answer was yes, before she died. So as I was sitting at this banquet, uh, we had glasses of sweet tea and, and, a, and a great meal, a, a steak meal. And I was talking to these parents. We had run out of sweet tea because it's the South and there's just, it's like the nectar of the South. And a junior in high school who was needing service hours came to our table to refill our tea. And when he leaned over to fill up my, my tea, he asked this question. I couldn't believe he asked it in front, of, in front of Rachel's parents. He said, David, what about you? Would you have said yes? I'm only one year older than this student, but I'm like, come on, bro. This isn't the time to play in the hypothetical. Rachel's really dead. But here he goes. David, would you have said yes? And I, my memory's not so good as to be able to tell you verbatim what I said to Beth and Daryl. I'm sure I said something like, man, I would like to think so. I hope that if I'm ever in that situation, I'd have the courage I need. Now, you can't get those moments in life back. Can't go back to that table. I don't even know the name of the junior to set it all back up again where he could pour me another glass of tea. But if I got the opportunity again, I would answer differently. Do you think you'd say yes? I am preparing to. Today I am preparing to say yes. I'm preparing to. Because that's what we have, the opportunity to cultivate courage today. And I pray you do. It's the difference between playing church and really trusting Christ. So I pray you trust Christ today and he gives you the courage you need. Would you guys stand? Let's, let's worship and let's sing. If you need to respond and if we can help you in any way, you can come to the front or to the back as we sing.